better. Forgive my uh, ignorance. Sorry to interrupt you. What's purchasing power? Is that just well? So, so if you could buy a loaf of bread, mm -hmm. uh, you know, a hundred years ago with um, a gram of gold, you can still buy a loaf of bread with a gram of gold today. Okay. But a pound a hundred years ago would have bought you ten loaves of bread, or you know, a hundred loaves of bread maybe. Right. Yeah. Uh, but today it buys you far fewer loaves of bread, uh, if if even one, because it's lost its purchasing power. Each unit of money has it buys you less, and much much less, ninety nine percent less, in fact. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh and welcome to today's special finance uh, related unscripted podcast. Uh, anyone who knows me knows I'm a bit of a, an ignoramus when it comes to finance so I thought let me uh, look for two experts in the Islamic finance field to um, help have some uh, interesting discussions and instill some of their uh, expertise into this new uh, economy that we'll be uh, finding ourselves in. Uh, we have uh, a regular on this uh, podcast, uh, Umar Suleiman, Sheikh Umar Suleiman, Ustad Peer Umar Suleiman. Assalamu alaikum, bro. Wa alaikum salam How's it going? All good. This is where we do the fake salam like we haven't been speaking yeah, exactly, for the yeah. last, testing our mics for the last five minutes. But uh, yeah, uh, it's my pleasure to introduce also alongside Umar is uh, Sheikh Tariq Diwani. Uh, he's a well-known uh, Islamic finance expert, or author of uh, The Problem with Interest and Another book I just googled right now, which is called Islamic Banking and Finance, what it is and what it could be. So, Assalamu alaikum, Sheikh Tariq. Wa alaikum salam. How are you? Alhamdulillah. I'm not a sheikh yet, I should point out. But Still so got a few months left. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's when, when you're, all your hair goes white, then you the, 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 really become a sheikh, isn't it? <laughs> uh, I, mean, I wanted to speak to you guys um, because the the topic of the economy has been uh you know uh front and center with all the pandemic coverage and uh all these rescue packages and furlough scheming and all these types of things that i completely totally know the the meanings of but one thing i was wondering i wanted to maybe start this off with uh, this question where does all this money come from right so we saw the uh, the chance of this exchequer, we saw uh, the Prime Minister saying, you know, we've got this scheme and that scheme and we're getting uh, this company, small companies are going to get a grant and, you know, if, if you're furloughed, you're not, you're not working anymore, you're, we're going to pay 80% of your wages and stuff. For a financial ignoramus like me, I'm thinking, where is this money coming from? Are they, are they printing it somewhere or was it somewhere that we had all along? Check money out. tree, isn't that what they called it? The money tree, the yeah. Money it's, it's an orchard now. Right. Hmm. Are you asking me? Yes. Uh, Either of you, anyone who wants to jump in. Well, I think there, there's been this kind of duplicity over many decades um, over this issue of uh, what can be spent um, and where money can be spent by the government um, in particular. Um, and arguments have been made many times that we can't build more houses or hospitals or schools or roads because there isn't enough money. Mm. Um, and yet uh, there have been increasingly frequent occasions uh, in these last uh, 20 years where suddenly there has been enough money to do things that were uh, 
not countenanced in, in previous decades, fight wars, one yeah. of them, um, bail out banks uh, in the 2008 financial crisis, uh, pay 80% of people's wages in the current crisis. Um, and this money suddenly does appear uh, when it's really needed. Um, now, the duplicity arises because in most cases, the government says, well, we have to borrow this money um, and repay it. Um, and arguments are made uh, of a kind which have been going on since really before the Second World War. Keynes was making them, saying that we, um, uh, people have been saying, for example, in the government, that uh, a household has to uh, save before it spends. It can only spend what it has you know, earned. Um, and, and Keynes was pointing out before uh, the Second World War that, well, actually, you can't treat the economy uh, in the way that you treat a household. Uh, if everybody tries to save in the economy, it might be right at the individual level, but then the economy will collapse because no one will be buying anything. Mm. And so he, he differentiated between what the society as a whole can do uh, and what the individual does. And likewise, he differentiated between what the government can do and what the individual can do. And it is an overriding truth, and this is the point, that the government can do one thing that people cannot do. And that is that it can create money from nothing. Um, and we add to that uh, that increasingly uh, in recent decades, it is not just the government that can create money through the central bank usually, but it is the commercial banks that also create money. Uh, when they lend money, commercial banks in aggregate are actually creating new money. And so it is not actually true that we have to earn and save before we spend. We can certainly spend because we have the power to create from nothing. So we don't need to earn first. And these discussions have to be held in that context. So are you saying, um, Tarek, that when when I go out and get a loan from a bank or I spend something on a credit card, it's actually being made up out of nothing? Well, the, the money supply in aggregate uh, is, in the main, being created out of nothing uh, by either the central bank um, mm -hmm. under the authority of the government or by the commercial banks, the HSBCs and Lloyds and Barclays. And that is the way it works in the world today. I mean, whether you're in America or Saudi Arabia or Indonesia, money is generally created out of nothing by the banking system, one or other parts of the banking system. And what, Unless the... you need to pay back the US, then or the West generally, generally they want the real money or, or things of real, of real value. So you couldn't use, you couldn't create money. So for example, Pakistan couldn't just create uh, Pakistani rupees to pay the US because that's why everything's in dollars. And this is where it makes the, the whole kind of system unjust because it's tilted in the favor of those who can create the wealth for themselves. And then when you look at, I guess, uh, the, the international trade, uh, you know, currency, which is the dollar, they can just print more dollars if they wanted to or create artificial um, entries for dollars. But they ask, when they ask for it back, they're asking for real money back uh, from other, other, other countries. And that's why also you find that a lot of the issues around the world have been kind of started from the fact that countries want to depeg from the dollar you know, and there's a, there's a whole separate conversation around this. And at the heart of it is money creation and then by default uh, from that uh, control. Salam guys. Sorry to butt in. Eh? But if you're enjoying this podcast, please head over to islamtunancy.com forward slash donate to help us make more. And if you're not enjoying it, head over anyway and help us make better ones.
Uh, these 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 kind of pow powerful countries are allowed to create money, but no, it's allowed. I mean, it's yeah. it's if it, the fact is that if you're uh, Zimbabwe or or you know maybe mm. uh, Yemen or you know that um, no no one's going to want your money because yeah. you know, generally nothing's produced there mm. that people want to buy. I mean, you know, the fact is that America. Uh, European Union countries, the Chinese produce lots of things that people want to buy, and therefore they have to have those currencies in order to buy those things yeah. generally. So, um, but, you know, if you have the power to create Zimbabwe dollars or, or whatever the currency is there, um, I think I saw a one trillion dollar uh, Zimbabwe it, note wow. recently. Actually. Uh, of course, the government can print money, but who mm. wants it? Yeah. So, I mean, let me put this to you and kind of devil's advocate, right? So, this pandemic happened. Um, the thing that saved the economy, saved people's jobs, and uh, you know allowed them to put food on the table, is this this ability to create money from nothing. Uh, you Muslims and Islamic finance argues against creating money from nothing. What would uh, what would you guys have done? You know, aren't we being saved now by this uh, un-Islamic system of creating money? Uh, well, the Islamic finance sector. Um, doesn't generally agree that money creation is wrong. I mean, there's a, the, the modern mm -hmm. element, uh, you know, it actually accepts it fully because all the Islamic banks do that and they never make an issue of this when they pass fatawa. Um, you know, uh, the scholars who do so, uh, I mean, they may not agree with money creation, but they don't make it an issue in their judgments. They mm. just go over it, okay? Um, but but the point you know has been that uh, that that others have made, including myself, is that you can't build a system of justice upon a fundamental injustice. Uh, and as I've said many times, if uh, you know I was to create money out of nothing in my own home, I'd go to prison. <laughs> you know, so why should banks be allowed to do it, right? Yeah. Now, unless you're prepared to answer that question directly, yeah, and say that it's prohibited, then one really shouldn't move on to build an institution on that process. Yeah, yeah I completely agree with Tarek. And if you look at it, when the whole Bretton Woods thing happened, because money used to be pegged against uh, gold and, and silver, so that's why the dollar is called the silver bag, there was some sort of value attached to it. At the time that they decided to kind of depeg, and Tarek, did it happen globally at the same time, or was it kind of in, in sequence? When well, the, the, the United States did it, uh, Sterling came out, um, you know, uh, uh, in the 30s, there was a de-link to gold and then the United States went back on it. In the 70s, the United States came off. Most other countries had been off for some time by that stage. Can you explain uh, what Bretton Woods means? I mean, it's obviously, I know what you mean, Omar. 1944, <laughs> yeah, to uh, uh, yeah. An, a new sort of international monetary order to create stability after the Second World War. And, you know, mm. basically, uh, currencies around the world tried to... Uh, linked to the United States dollar to have a fixed exchange rate system and the United States dollar uh, would uh, peg itself to gold and you would be able to redeem a dollar for a certain amount of gold in, in the United yeah. States. Uh, it wasn't absolutely fixed. There were movements, you know, uh, in, but it was sort of fixed flexible, if you see what I mean. And it was designed to bring stability, which is all fine. You know, I mean, the, 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 the intentions are, are good. You've just had a war. You want to bring some st stability. And, and start people building, you know, their, their economies again. Um, but, you know, there's always this underlying question, is that how you should manage things? Or, you know, are we to go from a legal basis and say that we have to prohibit injustices and that's how we build our economy? Or do you say we want to achieve X and let's do anything that's required in order to achieve X, you know, which 
in the current situation uh, as we are today mm. has involved printing lots of money now you know one has to have some kind of let's say philosophical or conceptual basis uh, uh, at the legal level for deciding how you approach these issues you know are the objectives what, what are, are those what count or uh, are the legal principles upon which you act count you know are, are they what count because the two can lead to very different outcomes right so what's the what's the injustice in uh, creating money briefly for i mean if it's to help you know it's, it's it, you need stability you need uh, for example you know pandemic people need to feed themselves mm -hmm. Where's the injustice in just creating more money? Yes, well, I mean, if I, you know, um, normally people in order to earn money have to work for it. They have to give some value and they get some value back in the form of pounds or dollars or whatever. Right? Uh, if you have a system in which somebody doesn't have to give any value, he just prints some money and gives it to you and you give him a car or a house or a, a battleship. Yeah, or some land, mm. um, then eventually that system leads to total bankruptcy. Why should anyone work if you can just print money? So what's happened is that the banking, and you've seen this, the banking sector has grown enormously because bankers have realised, well, why should we work for a living? We can just print money and lend it at interest, right? Yeah. And so, have, yeah. <laughs> so, so you have transactions in which you know, mm. yeah, someone gives nothing and takes something, and that, that's not a basis for economic success. So, fundamentally... so if you think of interest, someone, if you think of interest yeah. being unjust, that, and that's based on some money being going going out. Now, you imagine creating money from nothing completely. That's, yeah. I mean, that's a layer on top of uh, of, of interest. Um, and and this is a problem when you started creating money. At least when it was pegged to gold and silver, there was this whole point is economic exchange. There was something of value in, uh, in exchange for something else of value. When mm. you have, as Tariq is saying, completely that look. You're creating out of, out of nothing. You're, all of the wealth flows one way then, of, of real value. Uh, and this is what we've seen, that look, when everything <clears throat> goes, if tomorrow, if, if there was a, a complete blackout on the financial system and all of your records of data were gone, how many people would actually have any real wealth? You know, oh. and, and th this is a part, it's, it's all part of a mirage. And the point I was making earlier about depegging from gold and silver, at that time, the scholars, I don't know if you're aware of it at that time, Tark, was there much discussion from the scholars on the impact of doing that? Uh, in the 1930s or in the 70s? Uh, in the 70s. Depegging from the dollar itself, you mean from the dollar and not from gold. Yeah, sorry. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, uh, there was this awakening in 1975 and 1976 when there was a conference in Makkah on Islamic economics, and it was the first major post-war gathering really to you know, bring international thinkers on Islam together. Mm. And uh, prior to that, there had been some thinking uh, you know, uh, in Pakistan among some scholars there. There had been some thinking in, in Egypt among some of the scholars there, but there was no unified response there were you know and and you can actually tell this because in 1971 when the the, the states came off the the the, the gold standard uh, it, it was only four years later when the islamic development bank decided that it would define the islamic dinar which has for 1400 years been a measure of gold of approximately four and a quarter grams. it would define it as a special drawing right issued by the imf which is a part piece of artificial wow. currency that's not even tradable really outside of central banks um and so you know that that was the stage of of of, of at which we were and how far behind the times the the muslim community was uh you know in its discourse so do you think the uh, the answer is uh cryptocurrencies then 
because I saw a documentary about yeah. that on Netflix, and I think I'm I'm an expert in it now. So, uh, do you think the the answer to money uh, uh, governments creating money out of nothing is some kind of crowd um, kind of created blockchain technology that you know no one can uh, just create something if they want if they want it out of nothing? It's pegged to something. I think the uh, the energy is required to mine bitcoins or something. Is that the future? My view on this uh, is that it depends whether you're looking at it in context or at an absolute level. Mm. If you need to pass a, a legal judgment on it, um, then um, I think there is some grey in this, but on balance, I argue against it. Uh, if you're judging it in the context of fiat money, in other words, the money that the government creates or yeah. the, the wider money supply types that are created by the, the private banks if you measure it against that then the issues are different because then you're you actually have to judge on on a lesser of two evils basis yeah. i think you know to put it so you, you'd say you kind of it's a step in the right direction to reduce uh, the, the well look i mean if if it is true with cryptocurrency mm. assuming it's true that it is totally anonymous and uh, encrypted and un uh, unbreakable that there are no mm. back doors that could wipe out the computer system, it's, it's, right? uh, uncorruptible yeah. uh, which i don't believe personally uh, i i mean we don't even know who the real designer is right how how can mm. we know what he designed you know i mean if he's put a back door in there then we wouldn't know about it presumably anyway but um let's say that it is uncorruptible and and anonymous now the fact is that you know, if you hold dollar balances or euro or sterling or yuan balances, there is somebody out there who can press a button and cancel those balances, freeze them effectively and stop mm. you using them. There are many individuals, many organizations, some countries even, who do not have access to their money because it's in a bank somewhere where yeah. there's a, a government that's hostile to their particular uh, behaviors. All right. Um, and uh, if you then bring up cryptocurrency and say, well, this money could not be cancelled or frozen, right? Mm. Then you could say actually it's an improvement uh, because you know you your ownership of your wealth is more complete. Um, and on that basis, you know, if you're going to argue on that basis, then I think you know there's a strong argument, and it's what many of the crypto advocates put forward mm -hmm. these days. You know, and that's their argument now. I think that's a fair argument if it's truly based, you know, technically on uh, un, uh, unbreakable code and a secure system. Yeah, yeah, and I, I tend to agree with you on that, Tariq. I think there's a lot of claims with regards to the cryptocurrencies um, yet to be tested. Even, I mean, they have this thing about 51% and the firewalls and all it takes is for, you know, a country or an organization with that amount of computing power to rewrite the ledger. Um, and I agree, I don't think it's completely safe. And, and your point is so uh, accurate in terms of when you compare it to fiat currency and being the lesser of the two evils. I, th I think there is an argument for um, cryptos versus the, the, the current economic system if it weakens that power block that's there, if it's going to do that. But what you don't want to do, it's like moving from capitalism to a Chinese-based uh, economic system. You know, you're moving from one kind of imperial force to another. And, and all of these points come into play, like, uh, is our wealth still protected? And then we go to the principles of the Sharia, then is your wealth protected? Is it definable? Um, and I don't think crypto has the answer to that yet. I find I, I still have an issue in terms of the utility that surrounds it and, and um, having some really economic value. 
But I guess we've kind of moved away from that with a, a lot of the discussion. So what 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 is your call then? What do you suggest as a as a replacement? Do you think um, do you think having going back to a gold standard or something is that is that practical in today's day and age? Someone could argue, well, what's so special about gold and silver? Isn't yeah. it just uh, something shiny? And you know, people thousands of years ago started to use that as constructed some kind of wealth uh, uh, to it. Yeah, you see, uh, people still do. I mean. Uh... <clears throat> There are those who will argue that it's old-fashioned and uh, that we have to move on and technology. But the fact is that no one can take a piece of gold away from you if it's in your back pocket. Whereas these other solutions that we have for running a monetary system, all of them can become terribly corrupted and have been um, in terms of the value of the unit, which, you know, if you look at sterling, for example, it's lost 98% of its purchasing power in the last century. Gold hasn't. Gold has actually... Mm -hmm. Uh, increased slightly in purchasing power so it's actually held its value and it's done the job of money better forgive my in uh, ignorance sorry to interrupt you what's purchasing power is that just well so so if you could buy a loaf of bread mm -hmm. uh you know 100 years ago with um a gram of gold you can still buy a loaf of bread with a gram of gold today okay. but a pound 100 years ago would have bought you 10 loaves of bread or you know 100 loaves of bread maybe right yeah. Uh, but today it buys you far fewer loaves of bread, uh, if, if even one, because it's lost its purchasing power. Each unit of money has, it buys you less and much, much less, 99% less, in fact. You know. So, um, you know, if you're trying to define what money is, then just look at reality around you. You know, it's not just Muslims who like buying gold. Right? I mean, there are people of all persuasions. Chinese like doing it. Austrian economists like doing it. You know, uh, Indians. So, Indians buy it, you know, I mean, it's well known as part of the culture and part of the wealth protection activities of many societies. Um, so, first of all, people have to argue against facts on the ground. Secondly, they have to argue, if they want to, as Muslims, against prophetic tradition. And if the mm. prophet, peace be upon him, allowed you to trade uh, by exchanging uh, gold for some other object of sale in a transaction, then you can't prohibit it. I mean, that's the basic rule. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and then thirdly, there are these, you know, issues that we've just been coming from in terms of, um, uh, you know, security and so forth, that uh, it, we, we are sort of sleepwalking as a, a global village into this situation where people can track whatever you're doing. You know, uh, you go shopping with your visa card. They know where you are, what you're buying, how much you're spending. Uh, you know, I mean, do people really want to live like that? You know, so um, please, I mean, people, I think, should at least consider that it is a valid opinion to say, I don't want people to know what I'm spending, where I'm spending it, when I'm spending it on what, um, and how much of it I have, if you don't mind, you know, and yeah. gold gives you that. Okay. Mm -hmm. So there are these, you know, political security considerations apart from the issue of does it protect my value, you know, apart from the legal issues of is it permitted or prohibited in Islam if you happen to be a Muslim discussing the question. Yeah. So imagine if, uh, if before this pandemic, you know, Muslims, we got our act together and we had some kind of uh, Islamic economic economic system where the the currency that we trade is somehow linked to gold and silver or gold and silver directly, and then the pandemic hit. Um, yes. What would have happened then? How yeah. how so would have things? This been is different? a very good question. I mean, Umar, I know I'm talking a lot, and no, no, I'm I enjoying it. So I don't know what's happened <laughs> today. But do you want to answer that? No, can, no, so, please. <laughs> I'll I'll jump in. I'll jump in. I'm I'm on here most every other week anyway. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Well, you know, I, this is one question that has been asked through the centuries, actually, since the paper money banking system came into being in force mm. 300 years ago. Many uh, philosophers, politicians, economists have said, look, you know, the thing that paper money does for you as a government is that when you want to fight a war, you can pay for it. Mm. Um, and if you have to pay gold for it, right, and you don't happen to have any, you can't just print the gold out of existence. Mm. Now, I, I answer this is a very strong argument, actually, uh, in the sense that uh, it gives a centralized authority the ability to mobilize resources quickly without having to go to people and say, sorry, guys, we want to tax half of your gold now. Give it to us. Otherwise, we're sending the police in. Right yeah. now. If you are an authority governing a country and you're faced with those two ways of running the country, it's so much easier to devalue the monetary unit by printing a whole load more of it than buying your materials for war and paying your yeah. soldiers. Because nobody knows it's happening until, you know, prices begin to rise a year or so later or two years later or whatever. Um, and uh, I, I think... Uh, people who argue in favor of a commodity-based money system have to get to grips with that situation. And the only way of doing it is by placing the money not as the sole answer to all our problems. You know, having gold coinage is not going to solve, you know, all the problems. It will solve a lot of them, I do believe, having an honest money system. But it has to come within a framework that supports, you know, this sort of whole vision of where money sits within the economy and you know one of the one of the things that you could say if you were a muslim looking at this is that you know um soldiers aren't bought with money in islam there is actually a duty that you fight right um and i mean that is not just a small coincidence here it fits it has its part to play within the system you see um and uh, unless we start to address wider issues like that and how we how we tax people, you know, uh, how we invest that money, you know, do, as almost said at the beginning, the charging of interest is innately connected with the creation of money out of nothing because yeah. banks create it in order to lend it, not yeah. in order to spend it. Um, so unless we put these other building blocks in place, um, then I think, you know, we can't have a complete discussion about this and we can't see why it is so important to have an honest monetary system you know, with just this component. Assalamualaikum guys, me again, reminding you to head over to islam21c.com forward slash donate to keep the lights on on Islam21c. We pride ourselves on being independent and being funded by the grassroots community. Now I was going to say, and I think it's, this is so key to it, is re-looking at the whole way we interact with money and wealth. Um, because ultimately, look, Gold and silver, currency, it's a mechanism, but it's got to be part of something bigger and how we approach money, um, how, how we trade. And this is why Islamic finance, uh, under its current guise, isn't the solution. It's, it's, it's failed to, to meet its wider obligations, um, I feel, and I, I think Tariq still agrees, <laughs> that you know Islamic finance, it, it, it could have been so much more. And I know the title of this, the book is the same. But, you know... Using gold and silver and or creating and hoarding the wealth, even uh, having money circulating in society, what does that mean? You know, we've we've lost sight of that. You know, uh, what, what's value to us is is value um, having you know x amount of profit, x amount of growth every year, or actually being able to feed more families, having more people working for you. You know, mm. I, I re- do you see this thing about Amazon? They said that look, the amount that he earns is I think probably like two. If you were from from the time of Jesus, alayhi salam, until now, it's the equivalent of 200,000 pounds a minute. 
uh, it still wouldn't be as much wealth as Jeff Bezos has today, you know. And you think about this an obscene amount of wealth, and still they'd rather get rid of people, they automate everything, which has its place. But what about the value of being able to support a family? You know, these aren't these aren't in any metrics. No one mm. looks at metrics from that point of view. Mm. It's pure growth upon growth upon growth. Um, and so you need to look at everything, how you bring it all together. So one of the... Yeah, I mean, just a back of the envelope calculation. Uh, I, I don't think that... Uh, that uh, per minute earning rate is is uh, accurate because um, I mean there are eight thousand hours in a year, sixty minutes in an hour. So I think there are something like four hundred eighty thousand minutes in a year. How much do you say two hundred thousand? That's yeah, that's what they said. Yeah, time, yeah. times eighty thousand. That would be uh, eighty million, eight hundred million, uh, eight billion, sixteen billion a year over two thousand years. No, Ooh. no, sixteen. Too much. Sorry, just back of the eight to a trillion. But, but, yeah, are you sure <laughs> you didn't sort of miss out the point sign there somewhere? Probably. I, I've heard it. I'm, I regurgitated it. Let me let me find yeah. it whilst we're talking. <laughs> I think that number must go back to the swamp. It's okay, we can we can cut that bit out. <laughs> no, that's all right. Stick it there. He's worth one hundred and sixty-one yeah. billion. One hundred and sixty-one yeah. billion. Okay. Yeah. So only thirty-one point nine uh, trillion dollars off. In the calculation, so. What's a few zeros between friends? <laughs> Absolutely. I, I think we should include this because we have to expose him. Right? I mean, his mathematics is terrible. Yeah, absolutely, Sorry. absolutely. So, I mean, one of the things that, Sorry, that people say... 200,000 a day. 200,000 a day, you say, okay. Yeah, 200, if you made $200,000 every day since the birth of Jesus Christ today, you would still have less money than Jeff Bezos. That's better. Yeah. I can accept that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. good, good, good. Okay. Uh, I only uh, a little bit of interest there. <laughs> yeah, now, you now. forgot the compounded interest. <laughs> you yeah. compounded it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now it's believable, yeah. Mashallah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you have a, a negative interest. You know? Yeah. That that reminds me, what's your view of negative interest though? Because somebody, somebody uh, yeah, we had this discussion, uh, Omar and I, uh, a few months back. Yes. Uh, my view of negative interest. Yeah, Omar, where, where uh, which country was it that was? Um... Was it uh, Denmark? I think it's one. It's one of the Nordic been doing it for some time. Mm. Um, you give, you know. I mean, it's funny actually um, how it all seems to work in favour of the banks because you know when it's positive interest, the bank lends you money and takes back more later. But now that it's negative interest, it's the bank that borrows the money and gives you back less later. So, you know, I, I think actually there's something not going right. It's a bit like one of these sort of, do you remember Daffy Duck, how he was always doing the bad deal? Yeah. <laughs> do you ever see those cartoons? You're too young, Salman, obviously. Um, but he, <laughs> so look, if, uh, I mean, there are serious questions to ask people who are really struggling badly to own a home and they're paying rent, you know, at the rate of, five, six, seven, eight, ten percent if you're up in Middlesbrough, for example, you'll pay ten percent of the value of the home every year uh, on rent. Um, now, wow. I have a friend in Germany who's being offered a ten-year loan at fixed 0.8 percent interest, right? And um, if you look at that, that you can borrow money at less than one percent interest per year or you can pay ten percent on your rental, mm. right? Um, the question comes, you know, how close to zero do we have to go um, before the arguments of wealth preservation become stronger? 
than the arguments of Ribber, because there are conflicting arguments here. Now, um, these questions have become very real in, in the last few weeks because the government is offering quite substantial loans with no interest or capital repayments in the first year, and yeah. you can repay at any time. They ask for no security. They lend it to a company which you can allow to go bankrupt, and there'll be no claim on your personal assets. Now, technically, because you pay interest in the second and subsequent years, traditional Sharia would pro prohibit that, okay? Because it's written but into it's the contract. Because it's written into the contract, but mm. then people are happy to have electricity supply contracts, which say if they're late paying their bill, they'll pay interest. Yeah. But all of a sudden now, with these loans being offered, there are people saying, no, you can't take it. it you, know, you might pay interest. Well, why didn't you say that about electricity then? Right. So, I mean, we have to really um, decide how much contextualization we're going to, in, in difficult circumstances, we're not living in, you know, traditional Arabia, right? Mm. Uh, in difficult circumstances, when there are a very limited range of options and some businesses are at risk of folding, complete real risk, yeah. not hypothetical risk. Um, and this is why some of the Hanafi scholars uh, in the north of England in the last crisis were saying, look, if you really must, you can take a loan from the bank to keep the business going, right? Mm. Um, they did context. I mean, you, one might not uh, approve of that contextualization, but the issue of contextualization is there, definitely. Mm. Now, so with negative interest, um, of course, this changes things in the sense that if you are the borrower as a Muslim borrowing at negative interest rates, they don't need to apply to you. Because when you repay the loan, you can always repay what you borrowed, not less than it. Mm. Right? Now, if the power is in your hands, yeah, then the contextual situation becomes critical. Because although the law says one thing, the practice within your hands yeah. makes the law irrelevant. Because the law says you repay less than you borrowed, but your practice will repay exactly what you did borrow. Right? Yeah. So my, some people are saying some people are saying that it's similar to the the is it the creditor um, basically um, foregoing his own right by giving it a, as as like a, a gift so you're paying back less. What do you think about that? Um, yes, if it's if it's agreed um, that you know at the time of repayment um, and not a custom um, of the society and not contracted at the outset, then there are things that can be done so you know loans can be repaid better um you repay the loan the value you borrowed and then you give the person a gift but it must not mm. be contracted and it must not be the custom of the society yeah. because if it is the custom then the the, the kawaii is that it become custom has the force of law yeah. right if it's no, a custom, i mean if it's uh if you're paying back less rather than more yeah. So if you're if paying, you're paying less, less in terms, in terms of a negative interest, staff, it's definitely a, uh, technically, uh, traditionally mm. speaking, it is a river contract because money for money has to be equal. Oh. Mm. Right? I was yeah. thinking that as well, even though yeah. even if it's a negative interest. I mean, the way it could work is if you gave someone some money and you said, listen, you only need to pay me back. So if I gave you £100 and I say you only need to pay me back £90, £10 is, you know, I've forgiven that as a as a you know, to charity or whatever, that they, that in that in that dynamic, that see, it depends how you look at it. It gets a bit murky, though. No, no, but this is the point <laughs> I'm saying is that when you're looking at negative interest rate, you got to mm. look at its application in the wider system, right? And and this is a, the same argument works the other way because people argue, well, me just buying my house, 
how why is it so bad and then when you map it against the price of house rising and you know cash loan and, and loans how, how that means the value of things deteriorate etc um, then you start seeing its impact on a macro level and so negative interest what's happening with the money once you forego it what what are they doing at the other end you need to look at it within that system as a whole on a micro level there are things that you can I, I, you know you can negotiate agree with between each other but it's the money flows within the system that need to be looked at and what you're signing up contractually and what happens contractually is the important thing I yeah. mean, in switzerland it is forced upon depositors they must lend money to the bank over certain limits if you keep the contract says you put x in you'll get less than x back yeah right. And, and so that that context is important. Yeah. Whereas if someone says, well, you don't need to borrow money from us. Right. And you don't need to lend it. Um, but if um, uh, if you do lend money to me, um, uh, I'll pay you back what you gave um, and um, you go into that transaction. And then at the time of going into the transaction, the lender gives you a gift. Right. Yeah. All right. Um, it's also about it's who has the upper hand as well. Well, yeah, it's a, but it's a very different thing. I mean, yeah. I can lend you £90, yeah, at 0% interest and give you a gift of £10 at the same time. Yeah. Right? So you, you get £100 from me and you repay 90 Um And if they're not combined, if there's no contractual force, you know, uh, um, uh, that says you must enter into this transaction, uh, then you can start to. Well, I mean, one has to look at what the context is in each case. But I think you mm. could argue that you know that would be a permissible kind of contract combination. Yeah. There are some contract combinations which are not permissible, which is the one I mentioned yeah. earlier. Yeah. yeah, which is lending money and requiring that the borrower pays you a gift. Yeah. And you pay, right. That, that's a well-known legal trick. But this is different. This is saying, oh, here's a gift of ten. And here's a loan of 90, repay me 90, right? Mm -hmm. Now, for someone to say that this is prohibited, um, when it's not being forced on uh, a person, yeah. it's not committing uh, an overt injustice that we can see, mm. uh, then I think we have to be much more careful. It's a different case now. Yeah, yeah. I didn't thought about that. I mean, um, I just want to pick up on something you mentioned. You're talking about the, the loans that are available to people now because of the pandemic. Um, what are if somebody is watching this program, they're going through some kind of financial difficulty. Um, what what are the 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 um, resources or packages and so forth available for available to them and their um, their company if they have a small business, for example? What what do you advise them to do if they're going through financial difficulty due to COVID nineteen pandemics? Well, so it depends what situation you're in. If you're a, a, a tenant in a shop, for example, um, then your business rates should be relieved from you uh, in most cases, not in all, but in the vast majority of cases. Um, if you are a self-employed person, you will be uh, entitled in many cases to receive a grant of free money uh, equal to a certain proportion of your monthly uh, income over the last uh, a period of time which I think can be over uh, a year maybe as much as three years again depending on your situation um, if you are a business um, that is uh, uh, trading and has been trading for some time and not in financial distress as of the end of last year uh, then you will be able to receive 
uh, or eligible for a business loan on very soft terms. This is the one I mentioned earlier, no mm-hmm. interest or capital repayments in the first year uh, and no security. Um, and you also mentioned uh, so, like, you can't. it's possible for you to declare bankruptcy after that, but I'm sure you didn't mean that as a, as no, a kind I mean, of a what, recommendation. I'm just explaining else. to you that, that uh, yeah. this is an issue of contextualization. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the law may say you have to pay interest, but if practice, I mean, I'm only giving that as one example. Yeah, if the law says you must pay interest, but in practical terms you won't because you just declare bankruptcy, then yeah. as as an Islamic scholar, how do you judge that? Mm. Because the yeah. practice gives a different outcome to what the legal contract says, right? Yeah, I, you know, we have to come face to face with that kind of question uh, because it's real and practical now, mm. and there may be people who do that, right? Yeah, it's um, like the student loan thing, isn't it? Taking student loan and and not paying it back or not, you know, earning the threshold uh, from which your income is taken to pay it back the student loan. You would argue that, well, I'm not hitting the threshold where I legally need to pay it back and therefore I'm not paying back any interest. And then after yeah. 30 years, it's cancelled. And these these are the type of scenarios now the scholars have to judge upon. I was always going to say also as a resource is that um, if you're, uh, depending on the rateable value of your business, uh, you'll receive either a grant of, I think, 15,000 or 30,000. So that's something else. And they else don't have to pay this back? No, ten, it's a grant. 25, I think. 10,025. With the 10 and 25? Okay, yeah. Okay. It's um, yeah, it's a grant. You don't have to pay it back. Okay, that's good. From your, from your council, but they will contact you. Mm-hmm. I mean, all of this information is available on the government website. You know, they're setting mm-hmm. out the help for self-employed on business rates, on loans, on yes, and the grants to small businesses um, uh, of either 10 or 20. I mean, there's a whole series. There's the furlough wages. Mm-hmm. There are, you know. Uh... The furlough thing's interesting, actually, because I think it's masking the the reality of the economic situation we're in. A lot of people who are on furlough, they just don't know that they're redundant yet. <laughs> no, effectively, because once the government stops paying the furlough, you, you'll then see whether the company still keep them on or not. At the moment, they don't have to make that decision. Yeah. You know, so uh, it's, it's being masked for the, the economic situation that we're in, really. Mm. Um, I was going to say that there's a, the ratedpure.com yeah, had yeah. a lot of the information on that with the, the bounce back loans, as Tarek was speaking about where they're actually the loans where they're interest free for a year are provided by high street banks and and the government said that it's underwritten it yes yeah so it's not it's not government loans it's, it's still with a private institution yes that's right it's government the way they've worked it out. Yeah. yeah yeah it's government backed yeah so but they're still done in the, in the same way you've got to go through the same process with the, with getting those yeah. loans well one of the things that people uh wanted me to ask and talk about um was the issue of buying houses right um and and is it a uh, i mean my thing is 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 do we have the financial literacy as a community to know when investing in buying a house is a good idea or uh, putting some money somewhere else is better or um, uh, renting and so on and so forth so what you just mentioned about these loans could someone use uh, or avail these um, interest-free loans for example to buy a buy a house or part part of a house and uh, use it for that. Sorry, which interest-free loan? The interest-free re- loans that you mentioned uh, for for a year or whatever. I mean, uh, oh no, they're, they're specifically so conditions just for, that they're used for personal use. They're to businesses, businesses. for business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> what if your business... Read between the lines, Tariq. <laughs> what if your business is wink, wink, nudge, nudge? <laughs> Buying houses. And then, I'm uh... disappointed in you as a leader of the Muslim community, Salman, that you should... You don't know me at all, do you? <laughs> Uh, but, so, but this is an important point, someone I was going to say, actually, because sometimes people who deal with Islamic finance or finance, mm -hmm. we kind of restrict it to just the absolute black and white rules. Yeah. And, and it's so much richer than that. You know, your intention that's involved, cheating people, uh, mm -hmm. you know, misrepresenting things for the sake of financial gain. You know, if people are in a situation. So we're looking at the situation now where people, if they own. Or, or they have shops, etc., or retail businesses. They don't want to pay their landlords because they mm -hmm. say, "Well, look, we're, we're not uh, in a situation where we've made any money." Or if they, I know, with some people own takeaways, they'd be making money, but they'll still say to the landlord, "They're not mm -hmm. going to pay. They haven't made any money." So from yeah. their point of view, they can cry that you know the economic situation, but that's still an injustice to the landlord. If yeah, you sign the contract and you're in that position, mm -hmm. you have to pay him. And to not do so, it's taking advantage of that. And it's all these subtle things that, you know, I guess we as a community need to look a little bit more mm. into. Mm. Um, it's not just, you know, the pure strict letter of the law, but it's uh, being honest in the way that we deal with each other as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, so about the um, just uh, home financing schemes and stuff, is uh, Tariq frozen or can you hear an echo? Sound okay, good. can you hear me? Assalamu alaikum. yeah, I can hear you. I got worried because the last thing I heard was uh, Salman, I'm very disappointed with you, and then you just left. <laughs> 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 I was actually trying to build up a segue to an actual question is, and that is, how do you uh, how do you buy a house in a halal way? This is what a lot of people want to know still. This is the thing that you were, you know, I have heard you speak about for years and years and years this is one thing loads of people talk about there's a few things we have today that maybe didn't exist before we have things like the halo scheme we have uh, yielders uh omar is uh, involved in that so uh, yeah how do you get a house today in the uh, uk yeah. in a halal way has omar not answered that question while i was no. away? <laughs> we're waiting for you to come i back. was on purpose <laughs> <laughs> How do you um, buy a house in Halloween? Derek, do you want to go first? That's, that's a big question. I hate yeah. to tell you this, but it's actually nine minutes past seven, and I did say it's <laughs> nine minutes past six. <laughs> oh. Where'd you begin? Well, I mean, look, there, I, I think, um, again, there are the legal issues. Um, uh, there is the context. Mm -hmm. And there are some things which no one can tell someone else what he does or doesn't do, right? There is a point at which a person has to weigh up his own position. Yeah. But if you look at this from a purely legal point of view, I felt then, I mean, just as a technical thing, whether I have any bias for or against Islamic, I mean, I could, you know, a non-Muslim could look at a contract of Islamic home finance and say, well, actually, that's an interest charge uh, <laughs> on cash flow terms. Just on yeah. cash flow terms, because a certain amount of money is paid out now from the bank and a certain amount of money has to be paid back to the bank mm. in due course through one circuit or another. Okay. And if your understanding of RIBA is money now for more money later, contracted at the outset, mm -hmm. yeah, um, then this brings into play the question of should we look at what the legal document says or should we look at what the substance says yeah 
So these two things, the context, what is your situation? Number one. Number two, do you care about what legal words are attached to a contract or do you care about the substance of it? Right. Yeah. Those are two things which are deep and long questions which need to be asked because everybody will tell you, oh, Morabaha works like this, Ijaro works like mm. this, diminishing partnership, and they will go on endlessly talking about these things. But at the end of the day, really it comes down to what is your context and do you care more about substance yeah. or legal? Because I have met people who said, I don't care what you say, Tarek. My scholar has said this and I will follow him you know, to the mm -hmm. grave, basically. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm, right mm -hmm. so there's you know there is a, a a kind of person and god bless him you know inshallah you know if it's sincere then maybe it's okay you know that he doesn't do his own thinking but for me i have to do my own thinking on this yeah. and i will not accept that a money now for more money later transaction contracted at the start can ever be what we're about in terms of finance so we're what about, to be about risk sharing, you mm, know, exactly share the, the good times and the bad times with our clients as investors and as yeah. sellers, you know, you buy an object of sale from us, a house, and you pay us. So property developers do that. Banks don't. They yeah. give you money. They take money. They are not in the business of selling an object of sale, a house, an orange, a table, yeah. a car for money. That's not what they're in. They're in the, the business of selling money for money. And when it comes to that, their substance is money now for more money later. Mm -hmm. So that, as it almost says, is the model we've gone for. We've spent 35 years on it. It has really got us nowhere, actually. We've got nothing to offer the world that's different from what they've got already, except ours is more expensive. <laughs> right? So yeah. what actually have we brought? I mean, we just made ourselves look very bad. Mm. I mean, if so you... it, aside from the whole Islamic mortgage, in quotes, um, kind of paradigm, is there not a, a genuinely halal, genuinely risk-sharing uh, alternative to home purchasing? Um, I think... Uh, that I haven't actually seen one. I've seen some that have got reasonably close. The Halo one mm -hmm. kind of got close. Uh, there's yeah. only one problem with it. Yeah, Umar, you know uh, yeah. that you can pay rent for 19 years. You have the right to, uh, you know, the, the house becomes yours at the end of the 20th year. You know, for example, that's the contract term. But if yeah. you miss one rental payment, that right evaporates. Really? And that's grotesque injustice. Yeah. Right? You can pay that rental for 19 years and 11 months, but you miss the final one in, you know, month 240, right, at the end of the 20 years, and you lose your right to have that house, right? Now, so we, we've got to look at, this is why I say we have to look at these contracts, you know, at the specific yeah. Yeah. terms of each one of them before pronouncing. But in other conditions of that contract, if you look at them, they look... Uh, the trouble is they don't have any money left at the moment. I think. <laughs> no. sort of Actually, yeah. I've, I've heard that they've got some more money. They're coming. They're going to be hitting the market again. And um, <clears throat> I was going to be working with them to try and make it more Islamic. So at this point that you're making, uh, if they go for the Sharia certification route, there's something that they can include. But I mean, other than Halo, I mean, there's shit ownership, again, which kind of is potential, but you're limited. <clears throat> Excuse me on the housing stock. Um, primary finance, inshallah, when uh, when they launch, mm -hmm. uh, there's something to look out for, definitely. Um, but outside, I mean, are, are you familiar with the Al-Raji model, Tariq? The Al-Raji model? Yeah, for the Muraba, for home purchasing. I was trying from to get Saudi some more Saudi Arabia? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or from Saudi Arabia. 
So, uh, you know, I, I haven't seen this one. Is it new? Are you talking about the... Yes, yeah, yeah, so I was it's a pure, from what I understand, it's a pure Murabaha that they buy the house and they sell it to a markup and deferred, which is which is nice and right. straightforward, you know. Right. Um, if they yeah. genuinely do that, yeah. because yeah. Then, then they are traders of houses and you exactly. can sell for installment payment, right? Mm. Exactly, exactly. So, I mean, there are uh, models available. It's just about having access to them in the UK. I, I'm with Darik. I don't believe that the current Islamic uh, mortgages are genuinely Islamic and the challenge I always have with them is that look there is not today I don't know if you've met anyone Tariq who says that these Islamic products are in of themselves absolutely permissible in any time in any space in any way that they use they always come with a caveat yeah. Uh, yeah. And the problem is people aren't appreciating that caveat because if you're making allowances then why not go for something that's going to be cheaper if something's not completely halal that ultimately meets so much more of the Islamic requirements uh, than, than the Islamic mortgage that you have. Assalamu guys. Last reminder, I promise. Head over to islam21c.com forward slash donate to help this movement get to the next level. So we have genuine, high-quality media articulating Islam in the 21st century and developing confident Muslims impacting the world for the better. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, it's been uh, an hour, I think, and I've just got one more question uh, I wanted to put to you guys. Um, you mentioned the problems with the current uh, system that we have. Well, let's think a bit more macro now this time. Um, you mentioned issues of money creation, issues of uh, interest-based economy and so forth. Is there a place on earth right now? Because this is one of the problems we have when we're trying to um, offer somebody a vision of what could be, a vision that we believe is better and more just. Is there somewhere on earth right now where we could point to and say, look, it doesn't have to be this way. Look at such and such place that's doing it now. And maybe we can, maybe there is an, uh, uh, not doing what we want to do, but there is a way to carve out or set foundations for something genuinely novel and genuinely more just. I don't think so myself um, in terms of the monetary arrangements. Mm -hmm. um, I believe that every country is essentially under the same um, system and uh, there are compelling reasons why they uh, should be at the political level uh, because mm -hmm. one can be ostracized, you know, I mean, but an example I give is that the IMF charter um, uh, requires that to be a member of the IMF, you must not use gold as currency, <laughs> right? <laughs> so, I mean, you know, that, there's one political overriding factor that most countries want to have yeah. the right of, you know, being a member of the IMF in case they need to buy food for their people, you know, and mm. need to borrow money to do it, right? So, um, so for, for reasons such as that and, you know, political pressures and so on, um, going to the sort of monetary arrangements that um, many people and many Muslims included would like uh, has not been possible. And therefore, we have to look in history books. But history books are quite good. You know, I mean, you, you, can, you can read many history books with very romantic histories of how wonderful things were in, in you know, Granada mm. or in... Uh, and, and, you know, the thing is that to a large extent, some of these books are true. You know, they, they really were... 
Um, you know, one can often look at Western countries and say, my God, you know, look at what they've built for themselves. And, and, and yet it's only been the last few weeks that uh, we've seen that a lot of what has been built was built on the back of slave labor or yeah. the exploitation of others, right, in some way. Right? Now, this wasn't the case to anywhere near that extent. I mean, there was exploitation. There were, you know, there were slaves. and there, yeah. But this level of oppression, you know, that that may have built some parts of the West did not build Granada or Constantinople, I believe. It was actually at a systemic level that they got a lot of things right for quite a long period of time. And that produced the kind of fruit um, which we don't get today. So we, if we look in those history books, you know, and we're prepared to be honest that, that it wasn't all roses, you know, yeah. but the generality of it was a lot better than we have today, I think. Yeah. I mean, there's two things on this. I remember, was it around nine years ago now when Libya uh, fell, um, when Gaddafi was ousted? Um, at that time, Libya had no foreign debt. And I remember desperately trying to speak to people who were in Islamic finance to let's go out there and trial and try something. So if a country doesn't have any debt, it's a little bit easier to try and come up with a blueprint, mm. but it, it just wasn't happening. And I think to this day, they're still not stable because we kind of need that type of country to trial and say, let's come up with some mechanisms where we can. Um, so are you I, saying I, there's no way to break out of this system? So look, I, I was in conversation with certain ministers in Pakistan who have mm. a mandate to make Pakistan riba free. Imagine this, Tariq. They've mm. got court papers. They... Riba officially was outlawed in Pakistan, um, I think, about 20 years ago. There's still reports, but they didn't know how to implement it. Mm. And the point is now, because of outside influence, debt, the whole overall economic system, detangling yourself from it is is the issue. And yes. especially if you've got debt. So this is the problem, you know, because... Yes. The, re the practical short-term realities overwhelm, you know, the, the mm. long-term planning people who you know, theoretically might have some power to institute laws or institutions or processes aren't there for long enough. You know, there's a coup or there's a, you know, corruption and they're kicked out, you know. And and um, so, it, you know, it may just be that people have to do it for themselves and maybe things, you know, that we expect to come from the top down actually have to happen from the bottom up. There is nothing stopping somebody, if they want, using gold, you know, as money. I mean, you can have, there's a payment card called Glint now, which yeah. offers you, you know, gold in Switzerland in your name uh, and a card which you can go to do your shopping with, you know, using the Visa or the MasterCard network in this case. You tap on it and it takes gold from your... Now, you know, really? there are practical really? things. Wow. Yes, there are. And, and there are many ways of doing this. You know, you, there are property developers in the Muslim uh, community who could sell their houses on the Murabaha basis and yeah. bypass the banks if they wanted. If our community got together, there are many things that we can do. Right. And the question is, should we wait in the system that we have where there is corruption and oppression and massive debt and overriding political problems to cope with in the short term should we just continue waiting for someone from the government to do something yeah. for us or should we as a community use the chance that we already have right agree completely agree omar omar i gave you a, i gave you a nice slow ball and you just let it uh, slip by you what, i thought you were going to knock it for six <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah Didn't, so, you um, haven't mentioned waqf at all today I know. Because in I terms of like, top up, <laughs> you know, top down versus bottom up approach, you know, empowering the community to get, get, uh, get the, you know, get get things that 
work for their own interests and their own long-term planning. Tell us what WAKF is and how we can use that. Yeah, so it's part of the work <coughs> fund. We're looking at, looking at strategic, sustainable ways in which we can support the Muslim community. Um, and one of the visions is actually home ownership in the long term. If we, under, through the WAKF, we build up a fund, it may not be now, today or tomorrow, but in 20 or 50 years' time, using that as patient capital people can own their own homes in an islamic structure you're not looking for profit returns you're not answerable to shareholders so you can create real structures that allow people to own their homes through the waqf inshallah one of the aims potentially is also waqf bank you know when you're not restricted by uh oh <laughs> <laughs> no but i mean ha having don't sell out just yet bro <laughs> no, no, ha having money in deposit, most people, most Muslims, I think if they were said, listen, you can keep your money in a secure uh, secure uh, storage facility, you don't earn any money, you don't earn any money on it, but it's used for actually for investing yeah. and helping causes. <clears throat> And your your capital is still there in child with some risk. Division <laughs> <laughs> over here. I mean, what, what do you know that we don't, Salman? <laughs> exactly. Tarek is laughing. Almost foreign holiday funds or something. <laughs> yeah, I'm waiting, for, I'm waiting for the restrictions to lift. Yeah. No, but this, I think we've got enough things in our toolkit. Pardon? I want to go on holiday too, and I think yeah. if, if he can get free holidays out of this work fund, then I can be on Sid I've talked at least as much as he has today. <laughs> and I actually think that some of the things I said were intelligent. <laughs> no, mashallah. Look, we've got, the thing is, look, we've got, um, we've got a lot of talent in the Muslim community, alhamdulillah. We've now, mm. with... Uh, digital access we've got abilities to innovate in a way that we didn't have historically and I think people also <coughs> look genuine disruptive uh, approaches to, to, mm. to things banks are on their back foot at the moment because of the whole fintechs etc not to say that fintechs are the answer but mm. we need to get the minds thinking in, uh, of these problems and finding ways through them Tarek's absolutely right look there are people and this is something else to actually the business people out there. We as a community don't value uh, the, the the benefit of giving loans without interest. This is hugely rewarding. If as a community we understood how beneficial it is and how rewarding it is Islamically to give loans without interest, mm. then we stop thinking about giving money through that commercial lens. And we only think of when we give money through a business lens, which is risk and reward shared. You know, it's, it's changing our whole mindset. You know, yeah. we can build properties and give them mm. out to stop someone from spending one money in a uh, one pound in a haram way. You know, it's hugely rewarding Islamically. Now, people don't see that mm. to pull money out of the conventional system. Yeah. And this is what I'm saying. Rather than always looking at the, the impact of the individual transaction, because it's hard, isn't it? Like if you say to someone, how can buying my own house paying 0.5% interest be so evil? You know, people have these arguments, yeah. but it's the system as a whole. Then when you look at it, there's no argument. Mm. It's it, they are like the, I guess the surveyors of destruction in 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 the last century at least. If you look at the financial services and how they yeah. continue to take advantage of developing countries, which unfortunately are mainly Muslim majority countries now. Mm. All of the excess oh, no. wealth is being <clears throat> used. Why what? Trade mechanisms ultimately, isn't it? 
And when well, they it's, it's a very yeah, interwoven system, it's true. Um, I don't think, you know, I, personally, I don't think one gets anywhere, you know, worrying about uh, this gigantic problem because it, it, it's a guaranteed fail for you. You're not going to mm. change the world. You'll just, I don't know, end up frustrated at two in the morning and get divorced <laughs> or something. You know, I don't know what it is, but you're not going to. And one has to choose winnable objectives mm. in one's life. Um, I mean, one should certainly be concerned, but one should distinguish between one circle of concern which can be very wide and a much narrower circle which is one circle of influence and what you can actually do something about right um and so in that sense i think um you know bottom up is uh the circle of action and you know the circle of concern may be top down and you know we can have concerns about that um actually i mean i completely agree uh with with tarik and what he's saying about the concern globally but I think we should think globally if we can, uh, even if we may not have the ability or the responsibility for changing things. One thing that COVID has shown us is that something that's come out of nowhere can actually fundamentally disrupt the entire global financial economic system. People are completely grounded, it's become normal. Did anyone expect this to happen? So. Just like that has happened out of nowhere, I think, inshallah, if people are thinking about it, there should be a way, or at least for us to try and work towards something that um, can change global injustice, which is financial at the moment. Um, People have shown, one of the things that this whole COVID situation has shown is actually the countries which have fared it well are those who are able to produce something of real value. Right? So all of the countries that were able to manage their own manufacturing, alhamdulillah, They've been able to fare it well. They've got real industry still going on. There's real activity. Those who are based purely on financial you know, systems, we don't know what position they're really in. Um, so Alhamdulillah, I think it's great. We definitely work on our circle of influence, but do you connect yourselves to global problems and think if Allah gave you the tawfiq, how would you approach it? What would you do? But the, the thing that um, uh, you know, I, I think we must deal with more is the, the practical situation in which an individual finds himself in and yeah. the context which he's in uh, and, you know, issues of substance over form. Uh, the, these are things which really, where the conversation can at least produce some benefit for people's lives, you know, and and, and maybe, you know, we have to accept, and, uh, and I'm sorry, I know this sounds terribly compromising in many ways, there's a difference between, you know, traditional legal opinions mm. and... Um, the standard of performance, if I can put it that way, that we should be expecting of people. Because we frankly, you know, I mean, we we cannot be prophets, you know, or saints, Mm -hmm. if you believe in it. We cannot be at that level, most of us. And to ask somebody to be at that level may actually be an injustice. We have to give them something that's achievable. Right. And our financial solutions, because it's it's about eating, about having a home, a roof Mm -hmm. over it. And we have to think really carefully about how we handle the situation as a minority in a difficult situation, yeah. you know, yeah. when even a majority is in trouble. Uh, especially important when you're highlighting the difference between the hukum and the, the theory and the practical, you know, fatwa that you give an individual because a lot of the times they're both the, the two are not the same. Uh, I'm wary of the time. Uh, I've had a lot of. Uh, uh, a lot of fun talking to you too, brothers. Uh, I hope you had fun as well. Uh, and Zakumullah uh, Khairan to you at home for watching as well. Uh, if you like this podcast, give a like and a share, and, and give uh, give some uh, 
uh, comments of uh, encouragement to Brother Tariq as well. We haven't seen him for a while, so maybe uh, people mention how much uh, they've missed seeing him. They'll uh, he'll uh, he'll come on again, inshallah, one day. Uh, check out his uh, his books as well. Uh, problem. I, I've actually got it here. The problem. The problem with interest. I've been calling it something else. I think. When was the first edition? When when did you this first This is this one I've got. Ninety-seven. Yeah, ninety-seven. The third edition actually, but it's um, yeah. Yeah. they're 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 sold. Finally, incredibly, uh, they 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 sold, and I haven't reprinted anything. So, um, I'm afraid you can't you can't buy it. <laughs> okay. I've got I've got, I've got a copy here. If anyone wants to buy it, uh, for <laughs> somebody checked it today earlier on today, they said it was going on for like uh, fifty something pounds, sixty pounds on Amazon or something. So, if someone wants to buy it for fifty five pounds. Let me know. Uh, this yeah, is actually this a signed is copy. That the people who never wrote a word for my book, they actually earn up making more yeah. money than I did out of it. <laughs> it's business, bro. It's business. And this one is a signed copy as well. It says, Salman, <laughs> best wishes. <laughs> it says, best wishes, something, something, something. Was Salam 2011-2007. Okay, this is the second edition, alhamdulillah. It's a got a bit of wear and tear, a bit of mileage in it. But uh, yeah, I'll put it up on eBay, see what, see what I get for it, inshallah. You know, mashallah, Tariq's first book, it was what inspired me to get into Islamic finance, Mala. I accept it from Tariq. Really? Uh, Mashallah. Yeah. So it's your fault. <laughs> and I always think about him when I go on holidays with uh, my son. <laughs> <laughs> the air hostess is, uh, you know, uh, in business class. Here's your starter and appetizer, sir. And you're like, thank you. May Allah reward Tariq. Zakhlah Khairan brothers It's been lovely to see you all again And uh, again, thank you for watching uh, At home uh, Press like, subscribe, subscribe and all that kind of stuff uh, Click the Remember to tap the bell icon as well To make sure you get notified on any uh, Of any new uploads uh, We're on Twitter uh, Google, um, Google Play Store Apple Play Store Facebook and all that good kind of good stuff So yeah, that's it from us now Assalamu alaikum. Art, art,